same. Uh, once we are made new in you, uh, we are now alive. We are new. We we live with you. Um, we are different. I pray that we would realize that, that we would take that to heart, that we would see our difference, uh, that we would see that we have been set apart, uh, and that our lives would show that. I pray that you speak through Michael, uh, you speak through your word, and you just open our hearts, uh, you change us this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Church. We are uh, thrilled to see you. We are going to be in uh, Colossians this morning, chapter 3, as we continue our walk through that book. Um, there is an outline in the bulletin to follow along if you'd like, and if you don't have one, you can raise your hand and Bo would be happy to get you one. We have uh, been in Colossians for about three months now, and uh, again, chapter 3, beginning in verse 5 is where we'll be. We'll get there in just a moment. Uh, so many uh, echoes in that song we just sang from what we've talked about the last two or three weeks in Colossians. Um, we are not the same. We are a new creation. Um, he has overcome. We will talk about all those again this morning. A couple of announcements before we get started as you're turning. Uh, as uh, most of you are aware, uh, we do a lot of things as a family, a lot of things that we volunteer for to keep things running smoothly. One of those things is... Uh, once a month, we have families sign up to uh, give our church a, a thorough cleaning, and there are slots available for August and September. There's a sign-up sheet in the hallway. The thing that we do uh, volunteer to help out in the nursery once a week, and uh, due to a, a typo, there's not a blank for next week, and so there's no one signed up for next week. Um, I think that's been remedied. I think one of my girls fixed that earlier. So you can uh, sign up for that. And then I think also there's some empty spaces for August as well. Uh, next week, we are going to have a, a covered dish after church. So bring something. And again, uh, maybe something cold as we've rearranged things in the last several months. Uh, we don't have all the plugs we used to have in the right places. So maybe some cold dishes would be helpful. That's next week after church. We'll do that. And then after this hour, we have uh, classes for our little ones. Uh, elementary and preschool start out in this back room across the hall over here, and then they break up after some singing. There's an adult class in the front room up here, and there's a prayer group that meets in the back. And then, unfortunately, we have to clear this room fairly quickly because this is the only room that will hold our youth, and they meet in here next hour. Am I missing anything? Bo, you heard anything that I'm... Is that it? We covered it? Good. So again, welcome. Uh, I'm glad that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, I need to set the stage. We have been talking about, uh, and Paul's been talking about who we are. Uh, several weeks ago, before we went on vacation, uh, we looked at verses 20 through 23. And we said that we have died with Christ. And, and we explained that what that means is he's just talking about our salvation but ultimately, what he's saying is, you have died to sin. Sin is no longer your master. And when you choose to sin, what you're doing is, is really saying, here, put the chains back on. You're asking God to, I mean, you're asking sin or, or, or whatever it is that's tempting you. I'm not happy with my current master, God. I'd rather have you as a master. Now, it doesn't come across 
that blatant, sin's very subtle. Uh, makes us think, makes us, makes us believe that it's better than what we have, but nonetheless, that's what happens when we sin. And Paul says, you're dead to that. You don't have to do that anymore. And then last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 3, where Paul says, if you've been raised up with Christ, again, talking about our salvation, if that's true of you, then what you need to do is, is set your mind on things above because really that's where you're a citizen now. You're not a citizen of this earth anymore. You're a citizen of heaven. So why would you continue to think about the things of this earth? Why would that be where your mind dwells? And so beginning or ending in chapter 3, verse 4, Paul kind of wraps up his whole argument of, of why, as we've been talking about, we don't think outside the box. We think in side the box, the box of the gospel, the grace of God in truth. Up to this point, he's been telling us over and over and over again, the gospel is what you have to set your mind on, believe in, grasp, understand if you want to grow. And now Paul turns a corner and, and he begins to now kind of lay out some very practical things that because all these things are true, because Christ is in us, because he is our hope of glory. Because we've died to sin, because we're alive with God, because there's the promise of the resurrection. Because all those things are true, now here's what we are to do. And as we read verses 5 through 11, Paul's going to tell us what to do. He's going to tell us how to do that. And then he's going to expose some of the big issues of his day, which just so happens, surprise, surprise, to be the big issues of our day as well. So chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes these words. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Would you pray with me, please? Fathers, we look at your word this morning. I pray that you would bless our time. God, again, that you would keep us from distraction, that you would speak to our, our hearts and our minds and ultimately our wills, that we would do uh, the things that you have called us to do and be your people. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So again, he, he begins in verse 5 and then also in, in verse 8, telling us what to do. And he uses two pictures for that. In verse 5, he says... Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. And after each of those, he, he gives us a list of things he wants us to get rid of. But I want to talk about those two word pictures first. Put to death, really that's what it is, to, to kill. And he's, he's referring us back to what he talked about at the end of chapter 2. You are dead in Christ. If you identify with Christ, if you've believed in His death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, then, as Paul says in Romans 6 also, you're also dead. 
So shouldn't your, your whole life mirror that? If you've died to sin and there's still sin going on in your life, you need to really act like who you are. You need to put that to death. Be done with it. Done away with it. It's over. You've got to make a decision and make a break. Um, putting things to death is hard. There's, there's emotion attached to that. How many of you ever had an animal that you had to put to sleep because it was suffering? Well, that's difficult. We, we want to believe, right, maybe he'll get better. Maybe we shouldn't do this. That's a, that's a hard decision to make. Sin kind of works that, that same way in us. It, we become so attached, so comfortable. Sometimes we enjoy it too much that I don't really want to put it to death. I want to just kind of maybe put it in the closet and close the door. I don't really want to give it up. I don't want to put it to death. I don't want to make an end of it. I don't want to do what's necessary to get that out of my life. I'll just, I'll just try a little harder next time. But I won't do what's necessary to put it to death. In verse 8, he gives a second picture. But now you must put them all away. It's, it's like taking a, a piece of clothing and taking it off. Literally, that's what it means. Figuratively, it means getting rid of something that you don't need anymore. That you don't use. It's like old clothing. Let me give you another picture. Uh, let this Use your imagination. This is going to be hard um, to use your imagination on this. Picture me as a, a rabid Texas A&M fan. No, that's, that will be very difficult for everybody. Sorry. My wife's an Aggie. I'm a Longhorn, in case you didn't know that. But not only am I just a fan, but a rabid fan. So much so that every piece of clothing that I have is maroon and white. I got a mailbox cover that's maroon and white that has the A and the M on it. I've painted my house maroon. There's a big A and M on the side. My dishes are all Aggie dishes. The toilet seat cover is an A&M toilet seat. Everything that I own, the cars, maroon, everything, A&M. But then, one day, I saw the light. And I became a Longhorn. Now, do you think, sorry, <laughs> do you think that transformation from Aggie to Longhorn, if everything that I own is maroon and white, it's going to happen overnight? Can I make that home makeover? All the wallpaper, the outside, the inside, it's, is that going to happen overnight? It's not, is it? But if, if, if I convinced you that I really am a Longhorn, wouldn't I begin the process of that transformation? Wouldn't I start? I don't know where you start. Maybe it's the clothing. Maybe you get rid of all the, the maroon and white and you buy all the burnt orange. Right? Maybe you redo the mailbox and you change the toilet seat and you start rewalk, but that takes time, right? And the problem is you, you go by and weeks and months pass and you, you step up in the closet, look on the top shelf, and you go, oh, there's some more Aggie stuff up there. I've got to get rid of that. You're looking for something in the bathroom cabinet. Ooh, there's still a, a roll of Aggie toilet paper. Got to get rid of that. Right? You, you keep finding things over time. It's a, it's a process. 
But nonetheless, Paul says, you put it off. You've got to start. You can't just say, is it okay if I keep a couple of the Aggie sweaters in the back closet? I mean, one of those is really, really comfortable. And that, that Aggie checkbook cover, you know, when you get those new checkbook covers, they're stiff and sometimes it, a little bump and your, your checks mess up. Can I keep that one on? That's what we do with, with sin. There are some of those sins that are just comfortable. And we don't want to give them up. There are some of those things that are hard. And, and sometimes it's costly. Think how much it would cost to redo the whole house and all the clothes. Sin's costly. We have to make sacrifices to put it to death, to put it off. But Paul says, because you have died with Christ, because you've been raised up with Christ, not only can you, but you should. It's who we are now. Our identity, our allegiance has changed from the world to the kingdom of God. And if that's true, why would I still fly a worldly banner? Why would I still have worldly logos on my mailbox and on my checkbook and on my wall, if that's the case. So he says, put them off. The question is, how do we do that? Uh, I want to skip down and, and look at verse 9 uh, for a moment. Because I think Paul, before we get to the, the details, because Paul kind of tells us how we do that, how that happens, and kind of some, some motivation uh, and a picture of grace for us. So we look at verse 9, uh, actually about halfway through, he says, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. So Paul's now assuming that these people are in the process. They're doing that, seeing how you've done that. Okay, you've bought into the truth. You've changed your allegiance. He uses three characteristics for this new self, and I think that kind of helps us to figure out why and how we do that. The first characteristic in verse 10, put on the new self, says, which is being renewed. I don't know about you, but that verse speaks grace to me. Because what it tells me is this new man that I've put on is in the process of being renewed. It's a, it's, it's a verb that Paul uses that's, present progressive. It's an ongoing practice. It's something that God is doing in us. When we change allegiance, yes, we should begin to look different, but two years, three years down the road, we look in the closet, we find something that hasn't been changed, we go, oh, there's grace. When we struggle and we believe the lie that that sin is better than the glory of heaven, we can look at that and say that, that new man is being renewed. Literally, it's, it's the being renewed new man. Yes, you're new. You're a new creation. But that new creation is constantly undergoing renewal. Why? Because for some reason, God has still left us here. We are still subject to our flesh. We are still subject to the temptations of the world. We're still subject to the temptations of the devil. And so it's a wonderful picture of grace that that new man which we have put on is still being renewed. 
So, so how do we do it? Well, we persevere. We be persistent. We don't give up because God hasn't given up. We don't quit because there's grace. We may stumble, we may fall, we may not be sure what the next step is, but Paul reminds us, God is not finished with you. The Holy Spirit is still active and at work in you. Will you persevere? Will you not give up? Will you get back up and dust yourself off and put to death whatever that thing is? The second characteristic says in verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge. If you haven't gotten it by now, over and over and over again in Colossians, Paul is talking about the mind. Those words knowledge and wisdom and understanding he uses over and over and over again. This is where the battle is won and lost. This is where those temptations come in and we get to decide, now what am I going to do with that? Am I going to put it to death, put it off, kill it, or am I going to coddle it and play with it and allow it to take hold and allow it to take root and allow it to affect my actions? The way that you are renewed, the way that that new man becomes more Christ-like is by your mind. Next week we're going to talk in more detail about the positive aspect. This is a this, this week's kind of the, the negative things, what to get rid of. But as Paul says in Romans, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's where the battle is. It's where we have to fight. It's where it starts. If I think, I like that old A&M sweater, and I let that ruminate, and I reminisce about how comfortable it is and how warm it is in the wintertime, I'm not going to get rid of it. I've lost the battle once I start being nostalgic about it. Finally, at the end of that, it says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is, is looking back to the very beginning in Genesis. And God said, I've created them in, in my image. We were image bearers. We were representatives of the God of the universe until we chose to sin. And that image was defaced. That image was marred. That image was left wanting. But we have this great promise that... Christ came, as Paul says, the second Adam, and did what Adam or us wouldn't and couldn't do. And now the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And that renewing, now there, there's not this, I don't, see, I don't want to be like Adam. I don't want God to renew me like that. I want something better. And we have something better. The image of Christ is clearly, especially in Colossians, put before us. Do you remember back in chapter 1, 
He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. An image of Christ that we are being conformed into by a process as we renew our minds, as we spend time with our Creator, as we spend time in his Word, as we spend time together in fellowship, encouraging one another and challenging one another, admonishing one another, loving one another. That's, that's how it happens. Through a process, through the mind, and, and kind of having our gaze fixed on Christ, the one in whose image we are being made into, slowly. So what are we to put off? What are we to kill? Um, I think two big categories, and it's the same categories we struggle with today. It's, it's those passions inside of us and it's our relationships. It's the passions inside of us and it's our uh, relationships. Um, N.T. Wright writes these words. He says, Temptation is not sin. Sin begins when the idea of illicit gratification is not put to death but is instead fondled and cherished. So he begins in verse 6, talking about, and he goes from a very specific action, and he works his way through five terms back to what is ultimately the trigger of that action. So in verse 6, he says, or verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, he begins with the act, sexual immorality. That word, is a word that's used was used throughout the Greek world. Anything, any sexual relationship outside of the marriage between a man and a woman, it could signify. There are lots of other more technical words for lots of different things people did, but this general word could refer to any of those. There's no wiggle room here. The marriage relationship is supposed to be kept pure. And we as children of God are supposed to remain pure to our husband or our wife even if we're not yet married. There are no excuses. There are no ways around that. There's nothing we can do to say, well, maybe here's an exception. There are no exceptions. Paul says, put that to death if that's part of who you are, if that's part of what's going on in your life. Put it to death. And then he begins to deal with the inner workings of, of where that comes from. The word impurity is, is the state we're in that leads us, in a sense, to those actions. Uh, it's almost like the chicken and the egg. Did I sin and become impure, or 
am I impure and therefore I sinned? Well, we know because we, maybe we know ourselves well enough, I was impure and then I sinned. No one just falls into sexual sin. Oh, it just happened. I didn't know what happened. It doesn't happen. We've thought about it. We desired it. We wanted it. We, we, we got to that point where we had the, the impurity is within us. So where does, where does that come from? Continue to go down the list. He says, passion. Um, that word is really uncontrolled urges. I have these urges and I don't choose to control them. I choose to let them run wild, which leads to impurity, which then leads to the action. The next word, evil desire. Um, it's, it's a desire for what is forbidden, right? Before I choose to not control that desire, I, I have that desire and I've, I've kind of let it sit and dwell and um, I'm thinking about it. Right? It's, it's the little kids that don't walk in the kitchen, I just mopped and so, right? Put my toes on the edge. Right? I'm thinking about it. I hadn't decided if it's worth it or not. I don't know what the consequences are going to be, so I'm, I'm thinking about it. And then the last word is covetousness. That's where it all starts, really. I want something that I'm not supposed to have. And Paul says, that's idolatry. You know why? Because you're worshiping yourself. You think your desires, your wants, your wishes are more important than what God is, and you're worshiping yourself. And so where do we put that to death? We put it to death over here once I'm already in the midst of it? No, you put it to death when that very first thought is, I want that. I think I should have that. That's where you've got to put it to death. And if you're somewhere right now in the midst of this and you're kind of dwelling and that's become a kind of a constant habit in your mind, that doesn't mean it's too late. It means you've got to stop. You've got to take those thoughts captive and say, why in the world would I think those earthly thoughts when I'm a citizen of heaven? Why would I still sing the A&M fight song when I'm a Longhorn fan? Why would I let that tune run through my mind? Well, how do you get a tune out of your mind? Well, you've got to put something else in there, right? I've got to listen to the Longhorn fight song over and over again until that A&M fight song is gone, right? I've got to get it out. That's why Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Then he deals with another issue that comes from our passions. This time he starts from the general and goes to the specific, beginning in verse 8. Now you must put them all aside. Anger and wrath are, are really just synonyms. There's not a whole lot of distinction between those two words. Just this general feeling I get when someone harms me or someone does something wrong, things don't go the way I want them to go, I get angry. I get upset. The next word, malice, is, is now that anger becomes focused toward someone. It's still not an outward expression, unless you read expressions really well. It's still an inward working of the heart, but it's... it's I'm thinking about someone in particular that made me mad and now my thoughts are turning that anger toward them. Right? Paul says, in your anger, don't sin. Right? Don't let it go there. It's, it's mean-spiritedness toward somebody. 
And then Paul gets specific and he says, slander and obscene talk. Some of your versions may say abusive speech. It's a word that only appears once in the New Testament and very rarely anywhere else. And so does it mean obscene talk like in cursing or does it mean abusive speech as in I'm just ranting and raving on you? Things have actually now come out of my mouth. Slander. I'm, I'm speaking ill of someone. They've harmed me. They've wronged me. And I've chosen either through calling names. What it is, is, is I'm choosing to harm their reputation for my sake. You did something to make me mad, and by golly, you're going to pay. I'm going to get you back. And then obscene talk or abusive speech, it's, it's those words that pollute not only the person who speaks them, but the person who hears them. I'm just unhappy, so I'm going to make you miserable as well. And again, it comes from not controlling that anger. Again, not setting our minds on things above. Why, if we were doing that and someone harms me, shouldn't my first thought be, look at what I did to Christ. And what was His choice? Well, His choice was to go to the cross. And on that cross, what did He say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We may say, oh, he really well knew what he was doing when he hurt me. They believe the same lie you believe when you sin. They're deceived just like you're deceived when you sin. Can we walk in their shoes for just a moment and, and then walk in Christ's shoes? Can I forgive them in their deception and love them to a point where we can have reconciliation? And then Paul ends in verse 11. It almost seems like he completely changes the subject. But it ties in very well because it's, it's the other problem that we face in life. It's the other thing that keeps us from, from being a full fan of God, so to speak. Here, he says, here, in other words, in this place where we have put off the old man and put on the new man, here, in this place where we have died to sin and are alive to God, here, he says, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. It is a very interesting thing. He begins by looking at the, the big dichotomy that was in that world at that time. If you were a Jew, there were only two types of people. There were Jews and there were Greeks. There was us and there was them. There were circumcised, there were uncircumcised, and that was it. And notice that he puts the Greek first. A Jew wouldn't have done that. Paul's saying, you've got to get rid of that dichotomy. And maybe the Greeks felt good about that, sitting in that church listening, oh, look, he put us first. But then Paul reminds them, oh, you make your distinctions too. Because among the Greeks, there were people who spoke Greek, and there were those who didn't. They were called barbarians. By the way, Greeks need to get rid of that terminology. That doesn't exist. And among the barbarians, there was a particular tribe up by the Black Sea called the Scythians, which were kind of the most uncouth, the most barbaric. 
the ones that lots of Greeks went and captured and enslaved. That distinction that you've made among the non-Greek speaking people, you've made a poor distinction, Paul says. Oh, and by the way, there's also not slave or free. You know, there's class warfare. You've got people that are, that are certain classes. You've made distinctions, church, based on race, based on culture, based on language, based on class. And Paul says, that's not a heavenly way of thinking about things. That's an earthly way of thinking about things. The heavenly way, he says, but Christ is all. Christ is all? What, what exactly do you mean by that, Paul? The Christ is all. Well, if, if we as the church really have put on the new man... Again, going back, who is that new man? Well, it's Christ. Right, I, I can't say you're a, you're a Jewish Christian and you're a Greek Christian and you're a barbarian Christian and you're a slave Christian. Right? Adjectives don't modify Christ. Christ modifies us. Right? Christ is all. And He's in all. Kind of like almost how dare you Treat someone who's indwelt by the God of the universe less than you would like to be treated. There is no distinction anymore. What's interesting is the early church believed that. I'm not sure the church today believes that a whole lot. We, we divide along all kinds of lines. The early church was extremely multiracial, extremely multi-class. And in fact, there are, there are several stories that came out of the first, second century when persecution was widespread, about that very thing being the thing that convinced some non-believers that that was a real deal. A slave and a master walking arm in arm to their death for martyrdom because they were believers. And there were folks in the crowd that were amazed that they would act like they liked each other. There are stories of slaves becoming leaders in the church and non-slaves submitting to their authority, and the world would go, what? How could you let a slave tell you what to do in terms of how you practice your religion? That's crazy. And yet we, we build barriers. We build classes. We, we divide by language and culture and race and where we grew up and type of clothes we wear, and a million of things. It's not a heavenly way of thinking about life. It's just not. Next week, as we continue, we look at the other side of the coin, right? Here are the things that you put to death, those passions that, that come out and look ugly, our relationships that don't honor God. Put those things to death. We put those off. Next week, we're going to talk about what we put on. Because if all I do is empty my house of A&M stuff, I've got bare walls, nothing's on my checkbook, and I don't have a toilet seat. So what do I do? Right? So I've got to put something back on. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. In the meantime, this week, 
as you leave this room, as you go out into the world, and as those thoughts continue to parade through your mind, will you decide, I'm going to put that to death? I'm going to put it off. I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do what's necessary to be a citizen of heaven while I'm here on earth. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for your word and God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I pray that you would um, use these words to strengthen us, that you would use these words to change us. And that as we go into the world this week, um, we would be different for your glory and for the good of those around us, those who believe and those who don't believe. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.